kind of help you if I can, uh, just to do what I'm teaching you. Um, I'm going to talk about Jesus, which is always, we should always talk about Jesus, by the way. And uh, our series is called Jesus the Key. Uh, and we're teaching you about the Bible. And uh, I was so pleased with the young elders this week. I got them to write the whole timeline of the Bible without any kind of cheat sheets or any notes like that. And every one of them was able to write this out and know how the biblical history was formed. Uh, and so just to walk through the key events, if you're brand new in, just to let you know where we are on the book timeline, uh, we have done Jesus in the concept of creation. You know, Jesus was there at creator. He is our creator. That's why it's no surprise when Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered. That's why it's no surprise that Jesus could walk in water. That's why it's no surprise that Jesus could control the storms because he is above our creation. Who believes that Jesus is above that creation? He is the creator of our creation. The Exodus and the promised land. You know, when they went into the wilderness, we saw the story of the Passover lamb. There's all about teaching that one day a Messiah would come, who would be the Messiah, the Passover lamb for all of us who would die for our sins. That is Jesus. And then we got to the Judge of Kings and the United and Divided Nation that Jesus is our eternal judge. Every word will be accounted for that you speak in this time. Every action, God knows. You know, and we'll ask the question, how we deal with it does depend on where you place Jesus in your life. We saw the united and divided nation, Jesus is the eternal king. As we talked about the life of David, uh, Graham, what an excellent message it was uh, last week when we talked about the exiles and the prophets, you know, and, in, and then and staying on track, staying with God, not getting off the track and going somewhere else, staying with Jesus. And in the Old Testament prophets, you get this big sign that's being pointed that there is a Messiah coming, 400 years silence which is where I'm going to be today if you go on to the uh, next slide. It is all about Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 says, Remain faithful to the things that you've been taught, for you know they're true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. You've been taught so that you might know Jesus. The reason you read the Bible is that you might know Jesus. Everything goes on to color. If I was to switch all the lights out in this auditorium, the chairs would still be here. You would still be here. We might not be able to see where everything is positioned, how everything makes sense. If suddenly there's a fire alarm go off, you'd be tripping over chairs and over everybody else in the darkness. Because if we read the Bible without the light, we start to trip over its theology. We start to misunderstand it. We start to read it for something else that it is. Because let me tell you, everything about the Bible is pointing to this coming king and his name is Jesus. And so when we get to this section in the story here on the timeline, Jesus and the Gospels, that's where I want us to sit today. If you remember nothing else about it, it's about Jesus, okay? It's always about Jesus. Every sermon we preach should be about Jesus. Our whole vision of this church is about following, um, finding God and following Jesus. I want you to find God. First time in, second time in, third time in, you're looking for God in the chaos and the storms of your life. Uh, he is there. He's able to walk on the water. He's able to calm your storm. He's able to walk into your life. And in that moment, you have a choice to say, am I going to follow Jesus? It's not enough just to experience his love. We will have points in our life when we go, wow, the wonder of God is. We'll have dark points too. But Jesus isn't looking for people just to experience him. He's looking for people who follow. 
Because he didn't just come for himself. He came for you. He came for others. And there's a call on your life. If you understand and put your line into alignment with Jesus, things are going to change in your life. You become part of an eternal story. The whole of the Bible is ingrained about God. History is his story. And we're just finding that. that answer. So if you want to know where you fit on the timeline here, we're kind of about here. That's when we says in the last days, you know, it's all going to happen. Jesus is going to reconcile his kingdom. He's looking for those who are following him who are not. And that is the important part. If anything else, as I talk through, ask yourself the question, do I believe in Jesus? And if I do believe in him, who do I believe him to be? It's a key question in our faith. Because Jesus was an incredible guy. The story starts with many of the disciples in the Gospels, when he walks along the beach and he points, he says, follow me, follow me, follow me. I don't know if you've worked at that. I was perhaps taught that he only said to those guys. I just thought it was a special 12. He didn't call it. I have this theory now in looking at the Bible. I wonder if he said to others, do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me? I wonder if it's these 12 who were the ones that says, yes, I want to follow you. I want to give my life. And they went on a journey. How many of you have been in a funeral and your friend has got up, knocked on the coffin and said, Oi, get out. How many, how many have seen that? that? That was Jesus. I mean, I mean, you were probably on the edge of your seats thinking, what is going to happen? Is that, you know, there's thousands of people sat on the hillside, you know, and everybody's getting a little bit peckish like you are now because I've mentioned it, you know, and suddenly where are we going to get food on, you know, and Jesus says, I just need some food. He takes five loaves and two fishes. He presents them to before God and he does this incredible supernatural and he feeds the literal physical needs of 4,000, 5,000 people, depending on which story you read in the Bible. Jesus does something exceptional. There's a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years who is put out of all of the religious. She can't go to church or the temple at that time because she's seen as unclean. You know, because she can't do that. There's no place for her in the kingdom until she meets Jesus. And there's something about Jesus she she sees. If I can push through the crowd, if I can touch the hem of his garment, the moment she touches the bottom of his cloak, right, and it's slightly weird, because if I walked out and you started touching the bottom of my trousers, I would probably stop and go, hey. But Jesus stopped because some power went out of him. Let me tell you, your faith will draw the power of God into your life. We're waiting for God to show up. We're waiting for God to be real. We're waiting for God to do that. When actually says, God, I am real. I'm here. I've never been unreal. I can't unreal myself. I can't uncreate the world. I can't unmake you. I made you in all your glory. Which leaves us with a question. Okay, God, if you're not going to change, what do I need to do? And God says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Who's tired this morning? Who gets a tired soul? Who gets fed up of the darkness? Who gets fed up of the sickness? Who gets fed up of the weight? And actually when Jesus says, come to me, and this woman, she manages to push forward. She touches the hem of his garden. And in that moment, this transformation, when the power of God enters her and she is healed. Who believes Jesus can heal today? I do. Sandra, I love that testimony. I really did. For someone to stand up and say, you know, there's a woman hobbling through the airport and I'm looking at the person and saying, God, what do you want to do here? And God says, oh, you know what I want to do. 
It's not a hard intellectual question when you see the sick in front of you. It's not a hard question when you see the broken. It's not a hard when you see the darkness in front of you. Actually, it's the question that you're asking yourself is, do I have the faith? Can I move into this? Is God bothered about me? Does God want to work right now? Levy, where are you? Uh, Levy's just been home to Brazil. And uh, come here, Levy. We've got a mic for him just so we can just kind of get in this. Sorry. Thanks. So, Levy, just tell us where you've been um, for the last week. Brazil. Okay, and why did you go to Brazil? So, um, there was an event called the Sen, um, and God took me there for this event, plus just my family, of course. So, how many events of the Sen was that happening in Brazil while you were out there? So, it was the same event, but it was happening in the same time in three different stadiums. And how many was in each stadium? Um, in my stadium, it was 7,000 people, okay. but in total, it was 150 people. 150,000 Jesus people. followers in Brazil. Thousand. Okay, thousand people is in there. Uh, and what was the whole kind of mandate of the, the, that meeting in those football stadiums? To be sent to wherever God sends you. So nations, schools, universities, uh, neighborhood, anywhere. So people would say, yes, I'm here, God. And it would be sent. So 150,000 people having the option to be sent in there. Just go through um, the people that said, I want to be sent by Jesus. Okay, so more than 10,000 people said that they're committed to be sent to universities. More than almost 7,000 people said they're committed to be sent to the high schools. Um, 18,000 people said that they're going to the nations. 12,000 people said they are going to the against the orphan crisis and going for adoption. 44,000 people said that they are going to pray and fast in the next next 40 days. And 7,800 people said yes to to Jesus for the first time or rededication. And 50,000 people are going to read the New Testament in this new year. So is Jesus alive in Brazil? Yes. Because you know when, when, when a friend you know goes out, Facebook suddenly starts popping and suddenly you look at what they're doing and they put live feeds and videos. Suddenly you see stadiums of thousands of thousands. Jesus is alive. Jesus is working here right now. Let me tell you, it's not just about special about Brazil. Jesus wants to work anyway. He's just looking for those who believe. He's just for looking for, I believe you, God, and wherever I am, wherever I find myself, I want to see you in this room, which is hope for us. Who believes in Jesus Christ here right now? I wonder what can happen when the believers get together and say, we're believing here. Who believes that people are going to get healed this morning? Who people that, that drug addictions can get smashed in the name of Jesus? Who believe that any addiction can get broken under the power of God? Is this, what we, is this the type of church that we want to see? Yes. Because whatever it was, when Jesus walked around during those Gospels, nothing was the same again. I'm longing for Jesus to walk into down our corridors, into our schools, into our colleges, into our universities, into our high streets, into our airports, into our shopping centers. And he wants to do that. But do you know how he does it now? For his people. You are Jesus to this generation. You are the Jesus generation. You're not the sleepers. You're not the ones who missed it. 
You're not the ones who look back and wish I was or wish I did. You're the ones who are going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this because already we're at the end of the line. When Jesus is going to return and he's drawing those into followers, say, do you believe? And the, and the Gospels go through the story of none other than Jesus. For his miraculous conception in his early life by the Holy Spirit, Mary gives birth and Jesus grows up and his, his life as a carpenter. And you know what? The Bible just accelerates through those 30 years. There's books written on what happened during the 30 years. Let me tell you, it's not the main deal because what's written and what the main key is what's happened in the three years. The next three years matters because this is about God revealing himself to his creation. You get the early ministry where Jesus starts. He goes to a wedding. I love this, right? Breaks every religious spirit. Goes to a wedding, by the way, particularly in modern day times. You know what? And changes water into wine. You know, would you like him at your wedding, isn't it? You know, we've run out of wine. And Jesus' mum says, don't worry, the Son of God is here. And he just says this phrase, whatever the master says to you, do it. We complicate it with super complicated sermons and comforts and messages. And if Jesus says, do it, just do it. I want you to take these gallons of water and I just want you to pour them out. You know, and as that happens, is, have you noticed Jesus asks us to do something that requires faith? We expect God to move in our life without us doing anything. He said to the disciples before he fed the foundation, you feed them. He gave them an opportunity. It was all about teaching and mentoring. And actually, God's going to ask you to do something where you're going to go out of this place with a step of faith. Elisha, when he transitioned from Elijah, he took Elijah's mantle, the prophetic mantle that he carried around that was symbolic of his anointing and authority. And the first thing he did, he took it and he struck the waters. He said this phrase, where is the God of Elijah? Not in doubt, but I want that for myself. I want to live the power of God. Who wants to live the power of God in their life? I don't want to keep coming to this place every week in, week out, just for services to go back again. I want to be changed by Jesus. And so, you know, he does these crazy things. And suddenly everybody's like, oh, somebody different in town. Something new. And they start to follow him and they see the power of God at work and they see the miracles. But you know what? They doesn't just stay there because this happens when, when in his later ministry. You know, this first, in his early ministry, there's acceptance. In his later ministry, there's rejection. Why? Because he asks this question. You need to give up your life and follow me. You know, there's a line when we come to Christ, and that's the line that we struggle with. We can see the greatness of God. We can see his amazing thing. And then God says, it's going to cost you your whole life. I want you to give your whole life to follow me. And the hostility grows. And Jesus gets more and more bold and takes on the authority of the day. He goes after the religious leaders. And he starts to challenge them. So much so that they take him and they hang him to a cross. And Jesus came and this was his purpose. For, the son, for this reason was the Son of God made manifest to destroy all the works of the evil one. He died for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Mark is the good news of Mark, the good news of Matthew, the good news of Luke. And they're all talking about Jesus being good news because something happens when Jesus walks into the room. You should be asking the question, Jesus, touch me this morning. 
follow you every day of my life. I want to give my life to you. The 60% of the New Testament is forged with these four books. They're called the historical books. The history about that, his story. It's all about Jesus. I want to give you a tip if I can because I want to teach you how to read the Bible fast. Not so you can get on with other things in your life, but just because it gives you a big landscape view. If you've ever flown in over a city, over a country, when you're coming in on a clear day in the sunshine and your perspective is like nothing else. If you've flown away to a dry, arid land and you're flying back into the UK, I love nothing more to see the green fields. Who likes the green fields of England? Did those feet on ancient time walk on England's pastures? Like, no, they didn't. But, you know, let's just go. It's a nice song. I love the green. It's kind of home, isn't it? We get this perspective. We get this view. And sometimes it's okay to read the Bible fast, not to shunk just God out or Jesus out, because you get this wider view. It's good to read all the Gospels in one big hitting and sitting to go, I just want to get this. Jesus, what were you about? Because when you're on a train, you see more of the countryside than when you're on a road, on a motorway, don't you? And we're so preoccupied when we read the Bible, we want to, we want to take the Bible and we want to stop at every moment. I want to study that. Oh, look at this, look at this blade of grass, you know, and things like that. Oh, there's a bee on it, you know. And we get so into it, we get stuck sometimes, and we miss the big picture of the Bible. You know, and we get stuck in issues realizing what is the whole big theme. And you, when you look at the Gospels, I want us to understand there's four different views because they're significant. They are important. There's four winds on our earth. There's four seasons. There's four corners. There's four points on a compass. I used to be a police officer, by the way. And, uh, you know, I'd often be sent to interview witnesses of something that's happened, you know, and I'd be sitting there writing about this incredible melee outside of the nightclub when just somebody's had too much beer and it all just kind of falls out there and, you know, you just line them up and you're taking their statement, you know, his thing. And there's this kind of thing, we, in order to be accurate about our statement writing, we've all got to say the same thing, isn't it? Because if we don't say the same thing, we're all a liar. Well, that's just rubbish. Because let me tell you, we look at the world from our own perspective. One gentleman's outside the kebab shop Another's a taxi driver over there. You know, someone's a bouncer, things like that. They're all stood in different places. Somebody might be in a window up in the flats out there. They've got a different vantage point. Some might be, have a tree in the way. Some might have a, a, you know, a light feature there that helps their view. Everybody's got a different view. And here's the thing about the four Gospels. It doesn't contravene each one. It adds authenticity because they're all speaking about the same thing, not the same detail. There's a difference. And we can get a whole thing, and if I can put up the different views of, of the Bible, of that, oh, you, you cannot see that. <laughs> if I'm struggling from here, there is no doubt Kevin's going to see that right at the back. I'll send these out to understand there's just different views. So let's fly over Matthew if I can. Let's just see his story. He is a Jew writing to Jews. He quotes the Old Testament more than any other of the gospel writers. It's like a patchwork 
Shouldn't it? And, it, and it's fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's the whole phrase, in order to fulfill, in order to complete. What was spoken about in the prophets is happening right now. And Matthew says that Jesus is like Moses, the great teacher. Matthew says Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew says Jesus is the Messiah King. And he says this is who I am. And then in, in describing that, he explains as he walks through, a big theme in Matthew is the kingdom. And I love this because when Jesus comes and Matthew is writing about Jesus, the first thing he says Jesus is he confronts evil. This new kingdom, I'm going to, Jesus confronts the evil strongholds. It's one of the calls on the church that we need to confront evil in this world because by its nature it is evil. It destroys people. You know, sin destroys your moral fabric. It affects your spiritual destination. And actually part of it is we need to be strong in the confrontation of sin. And in the, Old, in the, in the New Testament, you've got demonization, you've got disease, you've got death. And Jesus doesn't confront it. He wants to bring the reign of God to that darkness, the life of Jesus. It creates a new family. You get the Sermon on the Mount when he draws people into there. You have nine liberating stories of the power of God's kingdom from the leper, the centurion, the sick mother, the stormy seas, the demonized man, the paralyzed man, the dead girl, the sick woman, the blind man, the mute man. And do you know what? And he says them in three groups of stories. It's really clever on a, on a, if you like structure because every three stories he says, he interludes three stories with this phrase, follow me, three stories, follow me, three stories, follow me. This is the kingdom. Follow Jesus. And then he gets to the end of the book. Matthew writes him as the Passover lamb, as the one who's about to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That's your sin, that's my sin. He fulfills the Old Testament prophets. Tell the world the good news. Confront evil. Talk about the reign of God. And create the family of God. It's a mandate that Matthew is saying to the Jewish people. Mark is writing to a Roman audience. A big phrase for Mark is immediately. Mark's the first one that's been written. Jesus, the servant who meets physical and spiritual needs. Every time he heals a person, he's talking about their spiritual framework at the same time. When God wants to heal that woman, it's not just to heal her broken back or her bad knee so that you can look good and you can walk around going, I'm the new Benny Hinn. You know, this is great. This woman's now going to go to church. It's not that. It's so Jesus might reveal his love for her. There's signs and wonders. But signs point to something. We've, you know, in Pentecostal churches, we started worshiping the signs. It's all about the signs. It's all about what's God doing. And we don't know why the signs are given. Holy Spirit, and talk about Pentecostalism. It's all about speaking the tongue. It's not. It's about revealing Jesus. When I speak in tongues, it draws me closer to God. It fills me with spirit. It gives me confidence to go out and live for him. The miracles. And God is still doing miracles today, by the way. Next week, we've got Mark Rowan. Mark Rowan uh, found Jesus in a cell covered in tattoos. He's got the devil on his back, quite literally. 
printed on his back, and God met him in that cell, washed him clean. He's now a pastor in North Devon. He's going to come and tell his story next week and next week. If you've never heard his story, you want a friend who you know that would really hit an impact, bring him along. He's an evangelist, which means he's got the ability to talk about the power of God in his life. Because Jesus trains lives. Mark asks three questions. Who is Jesus? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah and how Jesus becomes king? Let me tell you, there's responses all the way through Mark when the question asked is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? He asked it then, and the question's right there. It poses the question. Even his disciples doubt, by the way. So the book of Mark, the finishing of the book of Mark is a bit sketchy. There's two options. I won't go into why there's two options, but they're, they're, they're quite realistic. Because the first option that's one that's written, found, by the way, is a little bit awkward because it leaves, when, when Jesus resurrects, it leaves the disciples in a little bit of confusion. And we like, you know, as British people, we want to tidy things up, don't we? We want to have the right answer. But Jesus leaves this in the written canon of Scripture. You know, what are you going to do now? Jesus raised from the dead. How is that going to affect your faith? You make a decision. I was a police officer, saw somebody got healed in the context who I was working with, really dynamic power of God, who, who God fused their back, back together, put them back to work, and it went around the whole force, you know, and, you know, and I had this kind, of, um, this kind of nickname, the miracle man, and, you know, it's fascinating because police officers are very evidence, aren't they, for evidence, you know, and it's really funny because it's all about evidence, you know, and, and the evidence is there's Mark driving the area car, zooming around the area, things like that, you know, and before, you know, without, we, we, he had a broken back, we prayed, and now he's back. It's funny, right? I didn't need to endorse Jesus at all then, and people go, that's not real. I'm like, well, what do you believe? Here's the facts. Broken back, prayer, back to work. Not everybody who will see the miracle of God will turn their lives to him. It's all about faith. So whatever you choose to follow Jesus. Luke is a Gentile. He writes it to Gentiles. He's the doctor. He's the one who's very detailed. He's the one who's going to speak to everybody, you know. He reads, he's the third one to write the book, and he goes around everybody. He's interviewing, Jamama, you were there. What did you see? You know, Andy, you were there. What you were there. Matter what you see. Thank you very much for that. What color was his coat? You know, and, and, and you'll get, he's really detailed. You know, that's why it's the longest book. The details in Luke, he is so long in there. You know, he talks about the miracle signs. When Jesus does a miracle, there's a controversy. I, I don't know you, but we think, it would it be great to have Jesus in the room, by the way, but Jesus comes in, there's controversy. He offends you. He offends your flesh. He offends the way you're living your life. Not to be offensive to the point, because sometimes when we're living the wrong way around, Jesus turns it the right way up. You know, the, the disciples, they're looking at Jesus going, you're going to be the big military messiah, aren't you? Uh, and Luke says, no, no, he's not. He's the son of man. He's the one who understands man. And actually, he's the suffering servant. He's going to come, and he's going to walk alongside, and he's going to get down, and he's going to wash the disciples' feet. The world does a level of leadership that Jesus is complete opposite. New kingdom. A different way of thinking. He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a really defining book in the book of Luke. And here's the thing. How can raising someone from the dead cause such an issue for Jesus? And in doing that for Lazarus, he gives up his own life. I don't know if you know this, but in the book he signs his own death warrant at that let me tell you why. Nobody wants a politician who can raise the dead. 
because people are afraid of that power. People are ultimately afraid of God because everybody judges power to how they would handle it. What if this man got into power? If he could do that, we're all finished. That wasn't Jesus' mandate or call, and they write and definitely, he's claiming to be God, which is fair point if he isn't. Who do you say that he is? And Luke is writing about whether you understand him to be the Son of Man, the one who was sent by God. Chapters 13 to 17 of Luke, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the final discourse. He gets them ready for his death, and then he goes to the cross. Luke mentions the seven I am's. Sorry, that's John. I've gone too far. Do you know you go, that's not right. Aaron, you're not right. Final week in there. I want to conclude from Luke, if I can, when I was saying, when I was with you before, if he gets to the end of his book, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the first day. It was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. This is the road to Emmaus. That this might be fulfilled, that this might be completed in the passage of time. This is the Messiah. That through Jesus, all sins might be forgiven. Here's a little rider, by the way, to all who repent. Repentance means when you see God for who he is, and he reveals your sinful state and who you are, and instead of running away, you come to God and you say, God, I'm sorry. And you don't just say sorry and then come back the next day and say sorry again and the next day sorry again. And so that's not Christianity. You realize in seeing the light of God and the forgiveness of God that you have the ability to turn around your direction of life and walk to Jesus. That is salvation. And at the end of this message, I'm going to ask whether people want to make that decision to say, I am sorry. Forgive my sin. I am turning around 180 degrees and I am walking on the path that God has got for me. I'm going to walk in that freedom. I did that as a young man. I'm still walking. I'm still trying to figure it out to understand more about the wonder of Jesus. And then we come to a different gospel at the end, the gospel of John, written by the one Jesus loved, written from a relational context And he just goes through. It's not about what Jesus said. It's who Jesus is. The seven I am's. He calls in this book. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. And there's seven in there that John reveals. And it's like, who is God? Who is this Jesus? And he's walked with him. He shared that journey. Jesus reveals his divine power by giving up his life. He conquers evil by letting evil conquer him. His final act of self-given love brings about a great victory. Love conquers death. 
See, I think we've embraced Christianity into our head and just into our intellect and go, oh, that's nice. But Jesus doesn't want to live just in our head. He does get into our head. He wants to live and reign in our heart. Because this is where the problem is, isn't it? Because our head just goes round and round and round. And sometimes it gets it right and many times it gets wrong. And, and Jesus wants to get into our heart to deal with the root causes of why we think the way that we do. John says in chapter 20, verse 31, these are written, I've written this book so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Band, if you want to jump up. This is written so that you might believe. When I've read and studied over the last few weeks this section of the Bible, I realized I believe that maybe we're very small B. And maybe as Christians, we need to ask ourselves the question do you believe? Or do you just go to church? Do you believe or do you just read your Bible? Do you look like a Christian on the outside and, and everybody kind of knows that you're this good person, you're doing great. But inside, do you believe in the Son of God and the one who sent him so much so that you would give your life to him? 